and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two years ago, in late December, I sat in a church basement waiting for the dreamers to arrive. These particular dreamers were undocumented immigrant students enrolled at Delaware State University through an opportunity scholarship available there. Although they had been academically high-performing in their high schools, they lived in states that shut them out from enrollment in state institutions of higher education due to their immigration status. At that time, Delaware State had 150 dreamers enrolled with an average GPA of 3.5. This church was quite close to the college campus and members had prepared for that evening music and food and small giveaways to welcome almost 100 students who were not likely to make it home for Christmas. It was loud, it was joyous, and it was also a little heartbreaking to listen to their stories. The countries their parents had come from with them as children, the parents who had been deported, the younger siblings that some of them supported. A few of them spoke of the experience as living in exile, not really citizens, but not strangers either. Growing up speaking English almost their whole lives and learning American ways, but not feeling yet as if they were really home. So for a time, the church created a home with safe and welcoming space to eat, to, to dance, and to share dreams. Those who dream is our theme this year for Advent. And while last week we talked about hope and about staying awake, this week we focus on preparing the way for peace. If we are those who dream, how do we prepare the way for God's dreams of the beloved community to be one day finally fulfilled? The Old Testament scripture in Isaiah 40 is the first prophetic word given to their people after their temple has been destroyed, and most of them have been taken into exile far away in Babylon. Now, a few generations later, God shows up after a very long silence and announces through a messenger that the people will be led out of Babylon, that prosperous capital, and back to Judah, the land of the covenant. That sudden word after a long silence must have been shocking. It seems that God had not abandoned the people after all. Could it be that Yahweh, the God believed to have lived in the temple at Jerusalem, is actually a God of all the earth? Could it be that God cannot be destroyed or confined to one location, that instead God seeks the people throughout the earth and intervenes on their behalf? But we have to wonder 
did the people want to go back? I mean, it had been at least 50 years since the exiles had been resettled in Babylon, so those who remembered Judah would, not, would now be quite old, and new generations were born having never known their ancestral land, and some never left Judah at all because they were considered too poor or unskilled for the conquerors to take any interest in them. These were the people of the land that Korean liberation theology calls the minyong, the oppressed people, discarded by the world but beloved of God, and they, they had been left behind in the ruined land of Judah. So Isaiah speaks to all of them with a word of comfort and hope. He, he proclaims the message of restoration and return to the exiles as well as the people of the land in Jerusalem, wherever they are, Babylon, Judah, wherever they may be, because the truth was that all of them and all of us need to come home to God from wherever we have wandered. And until we see ourselves as those in need of repentance and of restoration and return, we will never find the wholeness of shalom with God, with neighbor, and with the land itself. In his autobiography, the psychologist Carl Jung, one of the great explorers of the inner life, described this conversation he had with a Native American chief named Mountain Lake, whom he regarded as a kindred spirit. The two of them had developed a rapport, and Mountain Lake gave Young a very frank assessment of the way his people saw Europeans. Their eyes have a staring expression, the chief said. They're always seeking something. What are they seeking? The whites always want something. They are always uneasy and restless. We do not know what they want. We do not understand them. We think they are all mad. Young asked Chief Mountain Lake to elaborate. Why exactly did white people seem so insane to the Native Americans? They say they think with their heads, responded Mountain Lake. They think with their heads. Why, of course, said Young, what, what do you think with? We think here, said Chief Mountain Lake, and he pointed to his heart. And in commenting on this particular story, author Cameron Trimble says, this is the key to peace. Thinking from our hearts, the place where God speaks to us most freely. The work of making peace begins with the task of making ourselves whole. And the tragedy is that our culture places little value on this. We're taught at a young age that knowledge comes through reading, writing, and arithmetic, all exercises of our heads. And we value external results, and we've invested countless years and dollars and talent exploring the outer world where we've sailed to every continent, encountered many diverse cultures, discovered most of the species of plants and animals on the earth, and that has kept us busy doing but it has not always deepened our experience of being. She says the critical calling of our age is to explore our inner world, 
and that actually the survival of our outer world depends on our ability to reconnect with our inner world, to do that inner work. It's only when we realize that we are enough that we finally understand that we have enough and then we understand peace. Only when we rest and trust in God that we find what we've been looking for all along. I think those first century crowds were attracted to John the Baptist at the Jordan River in the wilderness because they were thinking with their hearts and not just with their heads. They knew John the Baptist had a dream, but it wasn't his to fulfill. Without a hint of self-promotion or vain ambition, John just prepared the way. The gospel says he was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. John made a way in the wilderness, in the wilderness of their lives in order for Jesus to find a way to their hearts. And John urges us to call others to prepare for Christ's coming, but also to prepare within ourselves confession and repentance personally and corporately for the sins of our individual lives, for the sin of our corporate life, our church life, our national life. Go to the wilderness and, and cry out, recognize the wilderness present in your inner world and confess. That cry is not in vain. It will be heard. It will help us come home to God and to neighbor and to the land and to ourselves. I keep thinking maybe there is a word from God in the radical disruptions of this year. I guess if I didn't think that, I wouldn't be standing up here from week to week. But perhaps we've been called into a wilderness highway that leads into deeper relationship with the divine. We may not all want to go. We may be a little too comfortable. But we can rest assured that God will continue to speak and that there will be those who continue to cry out and to invite and to call for us, to call for someone to comfort the people and to dream dreams. Some of you may remember when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave that famous speech in 1963 in front of 250,000 people, and that there had already been a long afternoon of stirring speeches and two spirituals by Mahalia Jackson. First a rabbi spoke, and then Dr. King led into his prepared remarks, bringing attention to the blood, sacrifice, and courage of so many who had labored in the long fight for freedom for the black community. And there were people in the crowd who had experienced firsthand beatings and jail and being attacked by dogs and humiliated by neighbors. It's said that by 4 a.m. that morning, Dr. King put the finishing touches on his manuscript for his allotted five minutes of voice crying out. And that he began in a scholarly way and he stumbled a bit on a line and then just then heard Mahalia Jackson crying out from behind him, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And that's when he put down his notes and launched into the words that have become hollowed in our American history. 
That's when he used the imagery of Isaiah 40 we heard today when he spoke about bringing change in the face of immense resistance and the despair it can cause, when he said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain be made low, and that the rough places be made a plain, and the crooked places made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And then he brought that biblical vision down to the 1960s Alabama and Mississippi and the daunting task ahead of them all. His words chiseled stones of hope out of the mountains of despair. And those stones of hope became a path for God's sweeping, radical, landscape-changing, culture-changing, life-changing justice to be made real in the world. Those who dream Prepare the way. Contemporary pastor Tracy Blockman says, preparing the Lord's path means challenging systems and structures that we have institutionalized as normal, but that God condemns as oppressive and crooked. It means clearing the path of self-aggrandizement, self-absorption, and greed to make way for community where all creation is valued. So where have you caught a glimpse of a dream for peace and justice that you can be part of fulfilling? Where have you heard a voice crying out? What dreams have you helped to pass along knowing that you won't be able to fulfill them entirely in your lifetime? And how can this church prepare the way for God's dreams to continue for generations to come? As we travel through these days of Advent, preparing for the inbreaking of God anew, I am praying for peace for you, for all of us. There is an invitation here this Advent to recognize the disruptions, the despair, the crying out of 2020 as an invitation to set off toward home finally after a long time away, not home of going back to the same old oppressive patterns we had, but the home of finding God even in this wilderness. There's much to grieve about our old pre-pandemic way of life, and we've lost far too many people in this exile, but there is also much to be gained, including a closer relationship with the God who dwells everywhere and is calling us home if we're willing to listen and to think with our hearts. So don't be afraid. Raise your voices. Cry out, join me in the dream, and let us prepare the way together. Amen.